Welcome to the only show bringing cops and the community together with some real talk and some real listening. This is uncut. This is uncensored. This is Black and Blue Live. Hey, welcome to Black and Blue Live, everybody. How you doing out there? My name is Dale. I am the host. And as you see today, my co-host Elizabeth is not here today. She's feeling a little under the weather. So welcome my man, Captain Ben over there. What's going on, Ben? What's happening? What's happening, brother? I am not Elizabeth. I want y'all to know that Elizabeth's much prettier than I am. Much right? prettier than much you are. But... Hey, <laughs> but I like my, my nice shiny haircuts. And yes. I'm ready, bro. I'm excited. Right. Let's do this. Yes, let's do this. Yeah, we got a, a lot of good stuff to get in here today. Uh, we're going to talk about, uh, you know, fallen officers in the line of duty. All of us here are law enforcement. So we're going to talk about that. But uh, first of all, I want to thank everybody for joining us here on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, everything that we are on. Please like and subscribe to the show on all of those platforms. And uh, very much appreciate that. So send in your comments and your questions, and we will make sure we get those here on screen. Did you see the banner there on the bottom? Uh, good evening from uh, Chicago, from Sean Kennedy. Thank you for, for tuning in there, Sean. On, uh, it looked like you were there on LinkedIn, so thank you for that. And uh, before we get Chi-town, going here... Chi-town, town Chi-town, exactly. Uh, let me uh, do something here with the, uh, with the merchandise. Oh, uh, let's see, here we go. I want to remind everybody to go to the merch store. You can get yourself some good merch that we just recently opened. There's a black and blue t-shirt there. We got all kinds of hoodies and all that. We got a jacket. Look at that jacket. That looks fly, don't it? Get on that fly there. There It says, uh, yeah, so make sure you get over there and check that out right now at the merch store and black and blue, and that'll be us. All right, on the website, www.blackandblue. Hey, hey, you part of the show. We're going to hook you up. We're going to hook you up. Everyone doesn't know, Ben is on the show now because he and I are going to do a uh, another kind of show here uh, momentarily, shortly. We're going to do one a little, little different than this show, but it's still going to be two cops just talking, talking mess, and we're going to have fun with that. We're going to launch that this summer. So this is kind of a dry run, but uh, Ben's good people. And we're going to get into this topic here today. Uh, today, like, uh, like the banner said, we're going to talk about law enforcement officers that have fallen in the line of duty. Our job is dangerous, and right now we've got a lot of, a lot of things going on. Officers have fallen left and right, and we want to uh, talk about that. Uh, these officers here are talking about officers in their department that have fallen. So let's bring those, those people on right here. Our first guest here today is uh, uh, the chief of the Department of Public Safety for the uh, University of Southern California out here in the LA area. He's got 36 years of experience. Everyone, please help us welcome in Chief John Thomas. How you doing, sir? I'm good. I'm good. And thank you for inviting me on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. How's your Sunday shaping out? Sunday is great so far. My Dodgers won, so I cannot complain. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yes, can't complain about that. All right. And, and they beat the, the Giants, is that right? The rivals. The, the, the rivals, hated Giants, yeah. yes. All right. Yes, so it's yes, a good day yes. for you. Good day for you. It's a All good right. day. A very good day. All right. <clears throat> 
Our next guest here is with the Indianapolis Metro Police Department in Indianapolis Metro. She's got five years experience on it. She's going to talk about an officer that uh, fell in the line of duty there. Everyone, please help us welcome in Officer Simone Burris. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. How's things going on out there in Indy? Uh, it's beautiful today. Beautiful weather, so beautiful nice and today. calm. So we'll t yeah, we'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, appreciate you for coming on. And last but certainly not least, uh, he is a detective with the Los Angeles Police Department, here to talk about an officer that perished with their department a few years ago. He's got 26 years of experience there. Everyone, please help us welcome in Detective Craig Marquez. <laughs> How's it going, brother? Doing great, doing great. Weather's perfect here. <laughs> as usual, as usual. As I usual, mean. as usual. <laughs> Terrible, 66. Yes, Terrible. yes. I don't know yeah. how we can do it. <laughs> it's a little, a little on the chilly side, right, Craig? Uh, yes, need a jacket. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let, let, let's button this up. Let's button this up, everybody. We're going to okay. get into this topic yeah. here. Let's, here we go. All right, so our topic today is uh, in the line of duty. We're going to talk about some officers that have fallen in the line of duty, not just the officers that we bring up here today. We'll talk about officers all across our great na uh, nation that have fallen in the line of duty. Uh, feel free, ladies and gentlemen, to comment in the comment section of anyone that you know of that has perished and give them a, a little love for, you, for their department, their family, and yourselves as well. So, uh, Chief Thomas, uh, you're here to talk about an officer that, uh, that perished at your department. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that, about that officer, and then, uh, and then uh, I'll bring up some pictures here. Who, who, who are you here representing today? Yeah, I'm representing uh, Officer Keith Lawrence. Um, Keith Lawrence um, uh, joined our department probably six months or so. Uh, it was definitely less than a year prior to uh, being killed in the line of duty. And, um, for those that are not familiar, um, Keith Lawrence and his fiance, uh, Monica Kwan, were the first two victims of Dorner. And Dorner would go on to kill several other Southern California law enforcement officers. Uh, Dorner was previously a Los Angeles police officer, uh, as I was prior to coming on to uh, retiring and, and becoming uh, going to USC. But he had a vendetta. Uh, he felt that he was wronged um, by the department, um, unjustly fired, and um, um, in his rage and anger and his psychosis, he decided that he would take it out on law enforcement. And um, uh, literally, um, uh, Keith Lawrence and Monica, and, and the, the connection with those two was he was, he was represented in a board of rights hearing that didn't uh, go well for him that ultimately led to his, his termination. Monica Kwan's father, Randy Kwan, was a retired LAPD uh, captain and uh, he represented him. So he had a vendetta and felt that he should have been represented better, uh, that that, that uh, resulted in, the, in, in the, the outcome that he did not desire, which led to his termination. So he had a vendetta uh, uh, regarding um, you know, it had to do with his belief that he was summarily uh, terminated without cause. He believed that there was some racial animus 
and he went on a shooting shooting spree that literally terrorized Southern California law enforcement uh, for quite a while. And the first two victims were um, Monica Kwan, the daughter of Randy Kwan, a retired LAPD officer, uh, and my officer, who was his fiance, who was uh, Monica's fiance. Um, he he um, ambushed them both while they were sitting in the car uh, in their condo complex in Irvine. So that's that's that was the motivation behind it. But he would go on to kill several other um, law enforcement officers uh, on a week long uh, terror terror uh, vendetta. Yeah, and let me bring up a picture of. Uh... Monica and Keith there, that's them. Um, and also got another pic of them. It's like at a, his graduation of some sort. Right. Uh, probably right. from the academy there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Terrible, terrible all the way around. All right, uh, Simone, why don't you tell everybody who you're here to represent? So I am here representing uh, Officer Brienne Leith. She was uh, joined our department with the 16th recruit class. So she had roughly uh, two and a half years on uh, with the department. Uh, Officer Leith came in and of course she was a light to our community. She took a 911 run on a domestic disturbance, uh, a domestic disturbance that also involved weapons. She responded as per our protocol with her beat partners. Uh, they all strategically approached the door. Uh, she knocked on the door and unfortunately, uh, the suspect inside began to fire uh, rifle rounds through the door and through the wall of that complex. And it struck Officer Leith, uh, fatally wounding her. Um, and she did not survive those injuries on scene. Yeah, that's terrible. Those, those are people don't realize, but uh, responding to domestics is one of the, the, the most dangerous types of calls that uh, we can go on as law enforcement, and that you know th this is this happens all the time, and it's unfortunate because, you know, when we go there, the people it's already a heated situation, and then we get into Absolutely. it, and then we we interject ourselves into it, you know, after someone calls or, or what have you, and we go there and. It, it's, it's just bad all the way around. So people don't realize that domestics and traffic accidents are two of the top killers of law enforcement officers. And uh, segueing into that, uh, Detective Marquez, why don't you tell everybody who you're here to represent? Thank you. I'm here to represent uh, our Nicholas Lee, Officer Nicholas Lee. Uh, he was an officer assigned to Hollywood Division Patrol and I was assigned at that time to Hollywood Division as a detective. So we worked, um, we worked in the same division. Uh, we had worked together on several uh, details as well as out in uh, uh, several calls uh, together. And uh, on the day that he was uh, tragically killed, uh, he and his partner were responding to a call and for those not familiar with Hollywood, Hollywood is one of these places where outside of Disneyland, it's one of the most visited uh, places in Los Angeles and in Southern California for that, um, for that ma matter. And um, 
because of the the amount of people that flock to Hollywood, a lot of the streets around there, like Sunset Boulevard, Hollywood Boulevard, that people people see get crowded and have an immense amount of traffic. So if you work there as a police officer, as a detective, you have to be familiar with uh, uh, shortcuts, streets that you can get through. And in this day, he did. He took a shortcut through a street that actually goes into the city of Beverly Hills. Uh, unfortunately, as he traveled on that road, uh, a truck driver also had the same idea, apparently, and used that road as a as a shortcut and was in a quite a rush, uh, driving recklessly with his big rig, and his big rig uh, veered off and struck and struck the patrol vehicle that Officer Lee was driving and killed him, uh, tragically killed him, uh, and injured his partner at, at the same time. Wow, wow. And what, what's your relationship to uh, Officer Officer Lee, Craig? Did you did you work with him over uh, there? Yes, we, we work together. Um, you know, it's like one of these things, right? And I'm sure we'll get into it. It's, it's, you know, you work with each, work with each other, but when something tragic like this happens, it's, you know, you get tons of regret that you didn't savor every second, you know, and I think that's, yes. that's, you know, you, you sit there, you know, each other, you, you joke around with each other, you play, uh, you know, playful banter and 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 conversation and passing, uh, but I, I don't think we we all savor that. So when we so when I learned that he had passed away and that he was the the victim of this accident, it's it's like that that regret that automatically hits you. It's like, did you make the most out of every second you had with that person? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Simone, where were you when you heard the uh, the news about Officer Lee? Uh, I was actually sitting in my patrol car with two other uh, colleagues of mine, and we were we're community resource officers, so we don't take the nine one one calls essentially, uh, but we assist officers in the area of our East District. So we were sitting in an area that is uh, a high traffic area for us. And we heard over the radio that it first came out as shots fired is what everybody heard. So as we backed on to the run, uh, we started to head in that direction. Immediately after we heard officer down, uh, we flipped, flipped our lights on, um, started to head to the scene. I think we got there. It seemed like it took us forever to get there. Um, we weren't far away, but it just seemed like forever it took forever to get there yeah. and uh, she was still inside the apartment complex uh, we could hear the officers on the radio trying to come up with a plan to get her out of the building uh, the guy was still firing rounds through the doors um, so it was a very chaotic situation uh, by the time we made it to the scene they had just pulled her out um, of the apartment complex, and when I got on scene, uh, she was she was laying there in that apartment complex parking lot. Yeah, yeah, terrible scene, I'm sure for you to have to experience that. Oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah. <clears throat> Chief Thomas, where where were you when you got the word? Well, I'll never forget it. It was Super Bowl Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday, uh, 49ers versus the Ravens. And I just finished looking at the Super Bowl, and I remember getting a call from an Irvine uh, detective. 
And um, keep in mind, nobody knew what we had at that point. Nobody knew Dorner's yeah. name had never popped up or anything. So I get a call that evening uh, from an Irvine detective asking me, you know, do I have an officer that drives a white Kia? So he it, he didn't tell me directly what I had, what they had. He says, you know, he just asked me a series of questions. Do you have an officer that drives a white Kia? Well, I've got 300 something officers. How am I gonna know that? And I'm like, I don't know. Um, uh, well, we have a vehicle uh, and there's a USC parking permit in it. Um, this could be one of your officers. Well, what do you have? Then I got vagueness, um, no clear cut answer. Literally, I told the detective, okay, call me back when you have some more information because right now I can't answer your questions and he calls back. Uh, in the meantime, I start checking to see whether I had any officers that possibly had vehicles like that. And then where I was able to determine through the, the, uh, the 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 uh, parking permit number that it did belong to Keith Lawrence, um, and then um, lit, called me back probably an hour later and says I have two two deceased individuals in the car, and I believe one of them is your officer Keith Lawrence. Uh, that's how I found out. But again, Super Bowl Sunday, um, um, that evening, telephonic notification. Uh, from the detective, homicide detective, beginning the initial investigation. And at that point, no no knowledge of Dorner or anything. Actually, we I, I kind of thought maybe it was a a, a double suicide, a, a suicide homicide. So I didn't know right. what we had at that point. Yeah, yeah, nobody knew. Nobody knew at that point. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, real quick uh, on Facebook, uh, VVV asked, uh, what goes through your mind in that moment as you hear officer down? Emotionally, fear, anger. Uh, you can talk about that, uh, Simone, since uh, you brought up that where you were. Uh, definitely in that moment, uh, your heart stops a little bit. Um, you are definitely uh, in disbelief. So you're processing a lot of emotions at a fast rate. Uh, you're trying to figure out, um, praying to God that it's not someone you know. Um, praying that you can get there and help them or assist them in some kind of way. And then you're also um, just just trying to ensure that um, or hoping that the officer doesn't lose their life, essentially. Yeah. Yep. You know, definitely. I, um, I, I experienced that myself back in 1991 when I was a brand new officer. Uh, we had an officer on our department uh, that responded to a domestic call uh, with his partner. We worked in the third shift, the overnight shift. So I want to say this was roughly about four o'clock in the morning or so. And uh, it was a real foggy night in San Diego. And uh, I can remember it very vividly that uh, suddenly there was a, a shots fire call, 1199, officer down, and uh, trying to, to roll code to assist those officers, one of the officers had been shot, and uh, with the fog and the darkness and and everything else, it was just a real eerie scene. And uh, when when I arrived, the officers were were working on the the wounded officer, and uh, you never forget scenes like that and experiences like that in your career. So I'm sure you won't forget some of. Yeah. Yeah. Never. Yeah, and. Uh... 
you know, Officer uh, Leaf was uh, a doting mom. She was a young mother. Uh, got some pictures here of her and her son here. So, yeah, beautiful kid, beautiful young lady as well. It uh, looks like uh, she did lots of pictures with him. <laughs> She's in uniform, so, yeah, beautiful family there. And look at him in her uniform. Isn't that just cute? So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, what, what goes through your mind when, when you hear that, Craig, you know, with Officer Down? I mean, LAPD's had a, a number of officers over the years. Um, of, you know, yeah. Down. Um, I, the one that comes up was uh, Bill Cuesta. Uh, I think Chief Thomas would remember when uh, Officer Phil Cuesta was uh, shot and killed in Southwest, and I was working that night. And I remember getting it in Rampart, Ramparts, an adjoining division, but... Uh, in a big city, you get an address. And I remember when that call came out and me and my partner was was flying down the freeway. And the first thing I, I thought of is where exactly is it? And this is before GPS. So I'm breaking out, a, I'm gonna age myself a Thomas guide. And I'm literally hey, I, trying I, to look up- We know what those are. <laughs> we know what those are. I, I don't know if Simone remembers, knows what the, those are. She's a little young, but uh, we're, I'm bringing out the Thomas guide, trying to figure out where it is, and at a you know at a high rate of speed. Luckily, there was uh, several patrol vehicles flying past us, and we said, "Well, they look like they know what they're going, where they're going." And I remember, as the the as the patrol car uh, passed us on the left. I looked back. I looked at the trunk, and I saw a zero five, which meant that it's our uh, it's a Harbor Patrol Division car. And thinking, okay, how did they beat us here? And I was like, well, I hope they know where they're going because they're coming from the outside area. And I, I think the the big thing is, and you know, Simone kind of hit it on the head, is you want to do everything. Mm -hmm. You know, you when you get there, you just you want to do everything. And there's no possible way that you can, you, you take a role, uh, you have a very important role, but at that time, what was really eerie about this time was I got out of the car and I started walking to the command post. And by that time, we had approximately about 300 officers that had already rolled in. And I hear Craig, Craig. And usually, you know, when we're in uniform, we usually don't hear our first name. And I turned around and I saw Brian Brown. Uh, Brian Brown would be murdered uh, and killed in the line of duty several months later, uh, ironically. And he came up to me and he said, hey, where are you working at now? And I told him I was working at Rampart and he was working at 77th. Um, and he said, hey, uh, let's go do this. He goes, but whatever it is, don't leave without coming to talk to me after. Um, we got tied up with our apparent roles and we never got back. And that was actually uh, the last time I actually got a chance to talk to him. Um, and several months later, he was uh, murdered and killed in the line of duty as well. Uh, as a sorry uh, twist of um, irony there but it yeah. it just goes out uh, you you get that sinking feeling 
and you just want to do everything and you can't. Absolutely. You know, yeah. and, and, and I, I'll add to, to all of that. And it's interesting as I hear these names, particularly Cuesta and, and, and Brian Brown, who lived in my neighborhood. Um, um, you, every single police officer, and I've been in this business now 30, I'm in my 37th year, and I've seen a lot of officers, unfortunately, you know, um, die in the line of duty, working LAPD and working in Southern California. And it's just chaotic. And I think, you know, Simone and Craig both, you know, hit it right on the head. You want to do all you can, but you're also in the back of your mind, you're hoping, you know, it's not someone that you know, not that that really matters because we, we're all connected, but the reality is that does come in your mind. But I think probably the most important, the, the, the important thing as I've seen through my career is just you, you, there's nothing that brings together an agency or a, a division in the case of, a, of an LAPD um, is when an officer unfortunately gets lost, uh, loses life in the line of duty. And I remember uh, Dylan Brown, um, you know, um, I remember that that incident and, and seeing his little boy in the neighborhood and still talking to them. So, you know, it kind of like the brings the whole law enforcement community together to ensure that, you know, the legacy doesn't stop with that loss that, you know, the family has support. I didn't have that luxury with, you know, with, with, with Keith in the sense that it was such, you know, it was such a, a huge news story. It wasn't, this wasn't just a, you know, a, a one officer getting killed on line of duty. Uh, we were all terrorized, ter terrified. I had to have a, a security detail in my from my city uh, parked in front of my house. There were quite a few LAPD officers that had to have security at their homes because of the you know the what was going on with Dorner. So um, you know it wasn't for for, for me and, and then being a, a chief and actually having only been appointed chief the month before. And then I have to deal with this this huge tragedy. But I, I think, you know, it, it still hits you the same. You know, it's a gut punch. Yeah. And you never really recover because, you know, as I listen to these names, it brings back, you know, it just brings back the emotions. It really does. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to talk a little bit about uh, Keith's situation, the Dorner situation. It was a national story, uh, but I still want to talk about some of the other officers that you mentioned that perished as well that day. Um, so Officer Michael Crane was with the Riverside California Police Department. The, the chain of events were uh, when Officer, when uh, Monica and Keith were, were killed in Irvine, uh, a few days later when the manhunt was on because nobody knew, I guess somehow the word got out that, uh, that Dorner was a suspect because I guess he left a, a manifesto online, is that? Correct. He left the manifesto the next yeah. day, um, the next February fourth. Yes. So um, he traveled east to Riverside, which is kind of in the area where I work in Riverside. Uh, and Officer Crane was a training officer in FTO. He had a trainee with him, and uh, late one night on February seventh, twenty thirteen, Dorner's vehicle pulled up to a stop. Stoplight, I believe it was right off the 91, right off, off the off-ramp there. Um, and I guess he believed that the officers were looking for him 
which they weren't because this happened, uh, what, 60 miles away. And he opened fire on their patrol vehicle and st struck them both. And Officer Crane did not survive that that encounter. You know, it's, it's important to say, you know, even before he actually struck and, and, and killed his next victim, which was Officer Crane, he and, and Craig, you you were in L.A. He terrorized the entire Southern California area. Yes, he was yeah. popping up all over the place. So it wasn't it wasn't, you know, and I don't think he was really his desire was to kill as many cops as he possibly could. Yes. So and he was yes. showing up at people's officers residences in neighborhoods. Uh, there were a lot of sightings before. Um, before he actually, even though it was a very brief period between when he killed uh, uh, Keith and Monica, but he was sighted all over Southern California yeah. uh, and continued to. Um, yeah, so I, vehicle, I say that vehicle because, was in the system. Everyone was looking for that vehicle it, and for him at that point. Yep. Yeah, and I, and I say that because it, it was such, a, it struck such very few incidents in my 37-year career have have impacted law enforcement like that because um, it was, we really did not know what we had. All we knew is someone that had the same training that we had. He knew our tactics. He knew exactly how LAPD operated. He actually, you know, was very familiar with how to avoid uh, being detected. And he, he, he actually, uh, his plan of uh, how he operated actually was pretty effective. So uh, I think yeah. that had a, a lot to do with creating this environment uh, in Southern California after Keith and Monica and after Michael Crane. And, and, and it just was, it was a, it was a very tense environment. Yeah, absolutely was. And continuing on with those chain of events, a few days later, he was headed up the mountain towards Big Bear. I think he carjacked someone up there and that person got out and was able to call the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department and they found out he was in a cabin somewhere. Uh, so they surrounded the cabin and they had a standoff there and he started shooting uh, outside of the cabin at the officers there. Uh, it, was, it was all hands on deck. Every agency in the area, including my agency, rolled up there. Um, and in that firefight, a, uh, Detective Jeremiah McKay was struck and killed in that firefight as well. Um, and then the sheriff's department handled that situation. And I guess, uh, Dorner set off the, the cabin, uh, with, with some fireworks and some, some fire and burned the cabin down to the ground. When they got back in there, they found Dorner was deceased. So that, that was a, that was a crazy time. I, I remember that very well, very well. Yep. Yeah. Dale, what's interesting is, um, you know, just like, like Chief Thomas said here, Dorner really did set off uh, uh, an incident where pretty much all of Southern California law enforcement really unified and came together as one. Yes. Um, because, I mean, we had evidence that he was down in San Diego. We found some of his stuff in a, in a trash can down in National City, right? So suddenly now all of San Diego is alerted for his presence. And then, you know, and then out in Riverside County, up in Orange County, up in L.A., everyone was looking for him. I myself actually did media uh, about him and about his incident, you know, that was both uh, published on the internet and then a lot of live news. So it became a big thing um, for him. 
And, and what's interesting is uh, a lot of folks didn't know that he was actually uh, a part of uh, one of our national organizations and had come to one of our conferences. So there were officers that knew him in the organization, the National Black Police Association. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That was bad all the way around. Bad all the way around. So how, how did that death affect you guys personally? The deaths of the officers in your department. I know, uh, Simone, you were kind of in the same age range, uh, years on range as Officer Lee. How, how, how did that death affect you personally? Uh, personally, for me, I feel like uh, just with being a new officer, and that's not an experience I've ever had before, um, it was very tragic for me to experience. Um, it was something that I had hoped I would never have to experience. Um, so there was a lot of uh, feelings and emotions that um, I was unaware of that I would, would go through um, a roller coaster of emotions and feeling the survivor's remorse on, um, again, just feeling like, why why her out of all of the other people or out of you know the suspect like there there was a lot of emotions that were kind of um unaddressed for me at the time and um having to go through counseling having sleepless nights um even having the night terrors and um nightmares about the incident and uh just trying to figure out why i was upset why i was angry um, again, I wasn't one of the first responding officers there. I came after the fact, so just feeling like I should have done more and having to walk through that and deal with that. Um, I have to give my department a, a, a big shout out for allowing us to be equipped uh, to read different types of material to help us uh, through that. An emotional survivor for law enforcement, I believe if I hadn't read that book, when I was first assigned to the department, I think I would have struggled even more. But having those skills on board and knowing what I could potentially face throughout this law enforcement career, I think that helped. Um, our wellness department, I think they stepped in and helped as best as they could uh, for officers responding. Uh, but for me personally, I think I'm still on a, a journey. I don't think I'm fully, um, through it but i think i have reached a place where i'm able to cope and do my job and um not harbor the feelings of anger or or vengeance or anything like that so i think i'm in a, a healthy space now um when it first happened i did have to take off a couple of days uh, from work because i just couldn't wrap my mind around what had just happened so yeah absolutely absolutely having that wellness component today is so important. Uh, you know, I've been doing this for 31 and a half years and we just didn't have it. Back in, in 1991, when Officer Davis was killed in San Diego and I was on that scene, we didn't have we didn't have the, the wellness resources that officers have today, right? And, you know, unfortunately our, our wellness tended to be uh, gathering together where alcohol was consumed, where people could, you know, kind of talk it out you know, and deal with it. And then everybody came back to work the next day, like nothing happened. Right. So I am so glad today that that departments are getting on board, 
with getting, you know, psych services and counseling and, and, and just giving people enough time off to process, right? Because if you don't take that time away to kind of collect yourself and you come back and you experience more and more traumatic incidents every day, and you wind up understanding that it affects officers just as much as it affects everybody else. You know, we undergo repeated yep. trauma. So yes. I'm glad you yes. have that. Yeah. Yeah, what, it's what definitely I think, a benefit. Yeah. Go ahead, Craig. I think um, like what Simone indicated, and I think, you know, John and Ben, and, and we can all agree, is when you have that officer who's who's killed in the line of duty, one of the things that immediately grips you is that this could have been me. And, and you ask, you know, Simone asked, oh, why her, not why me? And when you are younger and just came come on and just start this job, you know, most of us came on when we were young and like a lot of young people don't, you know, believe that, you know, we're invincible, um, you know, we, we're, we're really good at what we do and we take all the precautions and then these incidents come in and ground us, like in the case of Nick Lee. Nick Lee was driving to a call, which is something that we normally do, whether it's a detective, whether it's a patrol officer or whatever your assignment is. And it, for whatever reason, it was his time. Um, it's a very hard thing to come to grips with when you are young in your 20s thinking you're going to be invincible and an event like this happens. I think what I take away from Nick was I had already been through it. I was a little bit older than a lot of Nick's peers. And I, I don't think, um, I think for all of us who are in leadership positions who have been through something like this before, um, it's important that we give that insight to younger officers and also help them go through the emotions because they've never felt this kind of vulnerability. And with cases yeah. like, I mean, Dorner was out of, out of character in the fact that we all felt that vulnerability. It was, it wasn't gonna, you know, it wasn't, uh, you know, at any point in time, and those officers, again, were off, were not part of LAPD, had no linkage to LAPD, but they got, the, their number was called, and it's hard for, it's hard for all of us to kind of process at this time that you can be a victim of random acts. Yeah. And I think that's such a great, that's such a great, great point, uh, Craig, because, you know, if you're in this business long enough, uh, and, and particularly if you're with a large department, you will see it, and, and you'll you will look at and um, you'll look at people, and it's like like Simone was saying, why her, why him, you know? And then you look at and you and, and there is a, a bit of guilt because you're thinking, wow, you know, uh, and, and, and that could have been me. And then and, and then you have to it 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 does make you vulnerable because you will look at, and you know, for the case of LAPD, when you have a, an officer of the caliber, like a Randy Simmons, phenomenal shape, he's working SWAT and he goes in to do something he's probably done a hundred times and uh, the bullet hits him, you know, and, and you start thinking, you know, there was nothing, nothing that probably could have been done differently 
you know, well, you can always say that afterwards, but when you start looking at, you know, it just comes down to sometimes it's just, it's not fair, but sometimes it's just your number. That's the nature of this profession. And, uh, and as over the course of my career, I've looked and I've, it's been some close calls for me. And had I been, you know, a few inches over, or if, if had I, yeah. had I, you know, been in a place prior to, it had just a whole bunch of things and you start second guessing and thinking about it. And it really comes down to, you know, this profession, you have to be, you, you have to understand that when you raise your right hand and you swear to that oath, you're, it means a lot more than just a job. It means a lot more because you, at any given time, it could be you. I think for me as a chief, I had a newfound respect for all of those chiefs that, and we look at the pictures of giving the, the the flag to the family. There's a lot of things behind the scene that just I wasn't prepared for, and 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 to this day, the hardest thing I've ever done in my 36 and a half years career was bending down and presenting the flag uh, to Keith Lawrence's mother. Bar, bar none. I, I don't care what the situation was, how dangerous. That was the hardest thing I ever did in my career, you know, uh, for a whole host of reasons. But, um, you know, it's there's a lot of dynamics to, you know, an officer losing the life in the line of duty um, that goes to the core of what we've signed up to do, um, yeah. if that makes sense. Uh, Lindsay McCall along on uh, Facebook says, I second that Detective Marquez experience or officers who have been through a traumatic experience should help guide folks going through it during their time. Absolutely. That's yeah. a good point. You know, what's funny is, is each one of these experiences really grounds you and brings you back to, to you know, ground zero with, with all your training and everything. And you start to reflect on all the times where you had those close calls when you were driving, all those close calls you had on incidents out there where you got lucky, right? And it worked out for you, but there's no guarantee that it's gonna be like that right. every time. Right, yep, yep. And uh, I was just thinking again, what you just said, Ben, and what Simone was saying earlier, why her, why not me? Gets you thinking, you know, cause her call, Officer Leaf's call was a patrol call. Um, you know, when you're on patrol, what if I got sent to that call? You know, I was on another call. How come I didn't get sent that call or, or something like that? You know, just, just got have you thinking, you know, if I would have shown up a little bit earlier, a little bit later, you know, if I was yeah. doing this or doing that, you know, all these things go through your mind, I'm sure at that time. So. Yeah. Sure yeah. I think, that I think, yeah. Sorry, I think for me ahead, too. Go ahead, uh, go ahead Simone. Prior to Leith coming out, I was uh, one of probably two, maybe three female officers on East District um, prior to her coming out. And I had just moved into the community resource unit. Um, so just like a couple months prior to her coming out, I was on the street and, you know, feeling like that any of those calls that I could have taken prior to her or, you know, what if I would have stayed on the street or, you know, just trying to process through that? Like, it could have essentially been me. I've worked that area multiple yeah. times. And, you know, so just, yeah, it, it feels like that. Yeah, just the, the what if game, you can do that to, <laughs> to you blue in the face. So, yeah. 
how many of you, um, and you know, I can speak for myself in this, how many do your families really grasp what you see and what you contend with on a day-to-day -day basis? And I struggled with, uh, especially early on, I struggled with even talking about it with them. Like They had no idea what I saw that day when I came home, right? Yep. And, and if you start talking about it with them, you know, to see the looks on their faces, the horrified looks of, of, you know, them having to hear now what you have experienced. They don't want, they don't want you to talk about it. They don't want to know about it. Yeah. yeah. I, you know what? You make a great point, Ben. Um, I, you know, I always joke and I mean, uh, I'm, I'm sure Chief Thomas gets this too. You know, one of the biggest questions or one of the most common questions we get is traffic stops. Now, I'm a detective, I'm a gang detective, and I haven't done a traffic stop in over 10 years. But to the vast majority of people, a traffic stop is what we do all the time. And that's very, for a, the vast majority of us, that's that's not, I mean, although patrol and traffic is, is a function that we might have done at one time, uh, I've also worked as an, a child abuse detective, uh, or a sexual assault investigator. Um, I've worked narcotics. I've worked gangs. Uh, so it's it's very hard because when you start that conversation, people will automatically ask you or sit there and you know who did you pull over today? I didn't pull over anybody. I talked to a rape victim, uh, and it starts and. It takes them a while to get up to that point. If you really want to take that journey with them, most of us don't want to take that journey with them. We just want to end our day. And it's a lot of that is, is working on your communication skills, uh, having somebody that's with you who kind of understands that you just don't want to take that journey again. Um, and uh, great communication, great communication works, works well, but also, time and place is, you know, is, is a big thing too. Yeah. Real quick, a Pamela Jones on Facebook uh, comments. I agree. It's not fair. When a loved one is taken away, the trauma still exists within my family and myself. And it's been 53 years. Hashtag Archie C bugs. Oh, yep, we live with it all the time. And uh, Arminda Rojas on Facebook also comments. I experienced PTSD when my cousin was killed and it's reactivated every time an officer is killed or shot. Have any of you on the panel experienced this as well? You, you know, I think I think I think we all do. <laughs> How do you not? Yeah. You know, because you know these are people that we knew. These are people that you know. All of a sudden, their presence isn't there anymore. You know. Um, so I think it's it's a matter, and it speaks to a point that was made earlier. The importance, and I think we need to do a much better job as a profession for wellness and and for for identifying you know PTSD and how it's manifested in officers uh, generationally. You know, for me, I started my career at the LAPD in 1984, and I can tell you, and 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 um, Ben mentioned it. You know, oftentimes, you know, you dealt with something like uh, the death of a colleague in the line of duty. By having you know, you know, a, a session where you're sitting around, um, you know, and I don't drink, but sitting around discussing things or or, or venting things uh, through through alcohol or or through some other destructive means, 
you know, so I, I think it's come a long way. It's, it's much better as I listen to Simone and I know what's in place in my own department and what's in place at LAPD and other departments, but still got a long way to go because there were officers in my department that were, that were pretty traumatized because, um, you know, they, they had to train Keith, you know, he, he was, he was, his presence all of a sudden was just gone. And I had to actually, I had to actually put in place something that didn't exist at the university for my officers. I'd actually reach to LAPD and reach to get their support services for something distinctly missing in campus policing. So the, uh, the wellness piece, and it has to be not just in a crisis. You can't just put something in place after you have to have a process to to deal with the wellness of the officers all the time so that they're accustomed to talking about things. Um, I, I remember clearly an officer uh, that was killed in the line of duty um, um, at LAPD, Pratt, 77th. And I recall talking to him literally just before he was, he was killed. Uh, you know, and and now all of a sudden I'm a young officer. I got no counseling. There was nothing available for me to deal with or in place for that. So I'm grateful things are in place now, but departments need to do a much better job in dealing with the stressors uh, and actually allowing for officers to be vulnerable and talk about how that made them feel. Because back then, I wish I would have been able to talk to someone, but there was also the stigma of, well, you don't want to go off stress. You don't want to take yes. time off. You don't want to go see a, 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 a professional to help you deal with it. So all those stigmas were in place that prevented me from, as a young officer, saying, you know, my friend was just killed. I just talked to him. We were talking about, you know, sports. And now I'm at a radio call where he's he's not with us anymore. And nobody ever reached out to me and said, hey, how, how are you feeling? You know, I don't think any, right. many of the officers at 77 got anything. Yeah. You know, you know, Chief, you, you brought up a good point about that. Um, at least, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, hey, you didn't want to find yourself on the rubber gun squad. You, did, you didn't want to be pulled out of the field and the stigma that went with that. And even if you didn't drink, you had to be there anyway. You had to attend. Right. Or, you you know, you get ostracized. You weren't part of the group. Right. And we come now some 30 some years later today. I see how important it is and how much it's made a difference when we had officers that responded to a call of a murder suicide where a father had uh, come home, killed his wife and then his uh, his three children right there and then killed himself. And what's what was unusual back when I started, which is now commonplace today, is uh, we pulled those officers that responded to that scene. We immediately pulled them out of the field within hours and got them back to the station. We moved them away from the scene, got them out of uniform, and immediately, right there that day, started getting them services, right? Because uh, those officers that had come out of that house, they had, first of all, they had to break a window to get in and they could see three little boys lying in the living room, you know, um, with, with gunshot wounds. And they went in there to try to treat them and they couldn't. They were helpless. Those officers were broken when they came out of that house. And I take that back to uh, some 30 years later when uh, Officer Ronald Davis was killed and 
the news took a picture of officers in a huddle crying because you you couldn't cry, right? You had to absorb these things and keep a straight face and be about the business, right? So much that that was the front page story. It wasn't the officer or, or it was the picture of the officers that were hurt, that were wounded. And we did not have uh, any support available to to help us through that traumatic process then. And I'm so glad they have it now. But just like you said, Chief, uh, smaller agencies don't have the same amount of resources. And suddenly when you find yourself in that situation, now you're trying to backtrack and catch up to get to where you need to be. So I, I know that's tough. And I think it's something we, you know, has to be advocated for because I don't care how, you name, I don't care what, how small the agency is. Uh, it can happen in any in any city, any town. <laughs> it doesn't matter because we're talking about things that officers do every day: traffic stops, respond to calls for domestic violence. All you know, it just it doesn't matter, and we're seeing it. Uh, at, you know, record rates now, you know, so I think it's something that, you know, I'm so grateful that it, it is it's beginning to happen. But I also I also know there's a lot of work to be done. But I also know that it's something that, you know, um, it's a leadership thing, you know, um, departments have to have this, you know, and you have to cu cut through the cultural, you know, excuse my language, BS to get to it because, you know, there's still a lot of that mentality, you know, for my generation of officers, you know, suck it up and get back out there, get back out there and do the job. You know, they didn't have that when I came on. So, you you know, but that mentality is not healthy. It's not productive. It doesn't lend to longevity in the career. And I've seen where officers have committed suicide as a result of not being able to process PTSD. So it's a real, Absolutely. it's a real, problem. I think you, I mean, that's such a great, um, such a great thing. I, I, one of the things that I took away from Nick, um, and I've kind of started that on my journey is that, you know, what police officers need to understand is what made you a great police officer, that resiliency that all great police officers have, um, doesn't necessarily serve you well, as well as when you are a leader. And, and so if you are in a leadership spot, you really need to assume the leadership role. Uh, Nick Lee was a very uh, big personality. He had a, he was obviously well liked. He was well, uh, uh, he had a great sense of humor. So he had a big presence in the friend, the, the circle of friends around him. Um, and they're hurting. And they, they need you to, having been through it, to, to also to, to focus that energy um, and, and get them through that process, get them with services, get them through the professional help uh, and, and, and help them along the way. But also to kind of focus everyone around you. You know, Nick was a great example of what can happen to you at the drop of a dime. I, I really, for those of you who are watching this podcast, you know, invest in that wellness, like Chief Thomas has said, you know, how we treat each other says a lot. And I think, you know, when you look at the Dorner incident, there was a lot of questions as how we treated each other. Now, I'm not saying that he was treated unfairly. Don't get me wrong. Don't get it twisted. But I think that every day, how we treat each other 
it, it bears to question as we talk about wellness. Um, uh, one of the things is that deaths like Nick Lee has done is um, kind of dialed me down. You know, we, we talked about, you know, that I'm from, you know, I've been around the block a little bit and I was from the school where, you know, you have to suck it up and, you know, and, and you signed the contract yeah. and this is what part of, this is part mm -hmm. of it. I, I really don't think that has a place now. I, I just really don't. I think, you know, if you're going to be a leader in this profession at this day and age, you need to do things differently. You really do. You need to be, uh, uh, somebody who has great wisdom, who has great advice, but you also need to help. Uh, and and telling people just to push through their pain, you're not being a leader, you're not helping anybody at all. You need, uh, and if you're gonna have time on, then talk like you have time on and get the people, be familiar with it. Have the phone numbers, have the contacts uh, in your phone like I do now, so that if somebody, you know, shows up to that call like Simone did and is filled with different things, you know, you want to get her the help right then and there. And just like Ben talked about that incident, it needs to happen right there and now. And if you're a leader, you need to pick that up and run with it. Yeah. Let me bring up this real quick. Uh, Sean Kennedy on Facebook says, I want to share the Guardian's Voice newsletter with your audience that focuses on mental health and wellness of police officers hope this helps someone out there there's the link there you can click that if you are on facebook producer lizzie you want to bring up that other comment from uh lindsey mccall about being a peer support and she says she's a huge peer support advocate i had a great support after my critical incident in 2018 i have to be proactive with our first responders and offer immediate resources when these major scenes happen it helps when command is on board with this culture. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that suck it up culture, man. Um, I, I tell you, uh, the, and here it is, like I said, 30 years later, I have never forgotten it. The first call I responded to where uh, Officer Davis was killed, when, when we got back and officers were upset, the lieutenant on our watch basically said, suck it up. He said, hey, you know, this isn't the first officer that's been killed in the line of duty, and it won't be the last. And you got a job to do, right? And, and get back out there. And I remember how angry I was at hearing that, that there was like no sensitivity to this situation whatsoever or to the trauma that we experienced out there as officers. It was suck it up and get back to work, right? And, and it took a long time to get us to where we are today. And just like you all have talked about with the, the alcoholism and the divorce rates, the suicides and all the other issues, because those traumas manifest themselves in one form or another uh, at work, right? right. Uh, you're getting complaints, uh, you're getting use of forces, mm -hmm. right? You're taking really risky behaviors, right? It's coming out one way or another, because this job is really unlike a lot of others. It's unique and it carries a lot of stress, right? And, and I'm not to say that um, it's all based on that, right? But the culture certainly supports uh, or did support not providing uh, resources for folks who have repeated stress, right? That is Thanks. unlike any other stress. It's, it's comparable to those in war zones, right? 
and, and the meat and uh, military personnel who see a lot of, you know, death and broken bodies, except they only do it over a certain amount of time. Maybe, you know, you get a six month, a year deployment, whatever, and you get sent back. Sometimes you do it two, three times. But a police officer could see this day in and day mm -hmm. out mm -hmm. over the course of decades. 20, 30 years. Yeah. Builds up. Yeah. 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 You know, I think to Craig's point, he, he he said something I think is very is worth re reiterating, and that is how officers show up to work every day. You can't you can't start talking about putting together a wellness program after there's a crisis, and officers are dealing with enough stressors in their personal life. They come to work, and it's incumbent of their peers, but it's also incumbent of leadership in those departments. I don't care what the rank. I don't care. We all are leaders by virtue of being in this profession. And it doesn't take much to say, you know, hey, you're not looking like you're you're, you're doing too well today. Let's talk, you know, right. because I, I I agree. You know, I'm not I'm definitely not going to support Dorner because I think, you know, he did a lot of damage. Uh, he you know, he's um, he, he just a lot of destruction. And I'm sitting here talking about him taking the life of one of my most promising officers and the devastation he did to the to the families that I know of, Keith and Monica's. But at the same time, you know, who's to say if somebody hadn't saw, you know, he didn't take that, he, he wasn't taking things too well, you know, and somebody reached out and said, hey, look, you know, you need to get a grip. You know, you're going off the deep end. Let's talk. Let's get some help because we have people coming to work every day dealing with stuff. And I think that's where it starts, because if you can prevent one officer from going down that route to suicide, if you can prevent one officer from going down that route to, you know, a destructive home life, if you can do any of those things, you know, if you are actually still saving an officer's life, it doesn't have to be killed in the line of duty, but we all know there's some very destructive behaviors in this profession, and it doesn't start in the academy. Something happens from when the time they get out on the street over the course of their career that they're not processing the PTSD. They're not processing the child abuses that they're handling, the domestic violences that they're handling. That has to change internally. And that's not right. a system that can be created. That's just caring about your, your partners. That's every bit as important as when you get in that patrol car with your partners. I know LAPD, it was always we had a partner. And you say, hey, where do you keep your backup? You know, hey, you know, what 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 are, what are our signals if such and such happens? You know, that's just as important, those kind of tactical considerations. Yeah. yeah. Chief, you know, you, you talked about, you know, and Dale talked, or not Dale, but uh, Craig talked about this as well, about uh, the importance of, of command staff supporting uh, wellness and, and that sort of thing. And that's important. But, but I would argue that the most critical component of it today is the first line supervisor. You know, and the sergeant who sees those officers on a day-to-day -day basis, sees them out of calls, sees what's going on with them, Facts. and, and yep. has to have, yeah, has mm -hmm. to have the wherewithal to get in his business, to pull that officer aside mm -hmm. and say, hey, something's, something's not right. What's going on with you? And to stay with it and not just accept that, what well, we always do, oh, everything's fine, Sarge, nothing's going on, I'm mm -hmm. good, right? But then you see it in their performance. You see either the productivity go down, right you start to see complaints you start to see all kinds of other issues that as a commander i'm not going to see because no you're not I walk into a room hey i can sit at a table full of officers and say oh has anybody got any questions for me and what do you get chief 
Oh, there you dead silence. Dead silence. But Ben, you bring up a, Ben, you're 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 absolutely right. It is incumbent upon those supervisors that see those officers every day. I always tell my supervisor, you gotta know your people. You gotta know, you know, when they come to work and they they look a little like they're out of it. Like you said, you gotta have the wherewithal to say, hey, let's talk. And sometimes you may have to say, you know what? I, I think I think it's best I send you home. Get some rest, and you know. And sometimes it may mean you're going to go a little bit below de- deployment. That's okay. You know, that's what leadership is about. You care first and foremost about the people that are doing the job. But I do think that's that first line supervisor who handles that roll call briefing uh, has to be able to look at all those officers in that room and be able to gauge how are they doing and having conversations with them if, if something doesn't look quite right or feel quite right. Yeah. That's absolutely. where it starts. Yeah. Yep. So I wanted to do this show um, really to pay tribute to the fallen officers that have, you know, not just the ones that we're talking about here today, but the ones before them, ones that'll come after them, unfortunately. Um, this past week was National Police Week and that was instituted back in the in the Kennedy administration and furthered on by uh, presidents after that. So, and then at the end of last week was, let me get that lower third off there so we can all see what we're talking about here. A Peace Officers Memorial Day was uh, May 15th. And then with next week being Memorial Day, I thought I'd sandwich this in here and let's talk about these officers because here, this chart, this is, I just got this today from the National Law Enforcement Memorial Fund. To date, in 2021, we have had uh, total fatalities, 124 peace officers nationwide die this year. And that's up 13% from last year, which was only 110 by this time last year. So, you know, things are changing and uh, it's becoming more, more difficult to be a police officer we all know the climate that's out there today. How do these events affect your agency as a whole? Do you guys still pay tribute to the officers that were fallen? Do you guys remember what happened? Remember the sacrifice that they did? Why don't you speak on that, Simone, real quick? Uh, so for our department, uh, we do our line of duty death from the start of, so we merged in 2007 um, and we became IMPD. So um, officers that passed away previously before the, before the merge, we send out a email to our whole entire department of the incident, the date, photos, um, a write-up about what happened during that call that the officer got. And as well as uh, the memorial word took place where the officer is buried. We do that for every one of our uh, line of duty deaths that we have had. Um, and then also for uh, Deputy Jason Baker, Officer Layard, Officer David Moore, Officer Bradway, Officer Wren. These were um, the most recent deaths that we have had within our agencies. And we uh, memorialize them uh, through our Facebook, getting together with their families. Uh, they do memorial runs, uh, bike rides. They do um, different events within our city to make sure that these officers and their legacies are never forgotten within our department in our city. Absolutely. Got a pick here. You guys did a uh, recent memorial there. Yes. Uh, was that for Officer Leaf or? This, 
Yes, we, we got together. So when Officer Leith passed, we were right in the COVID pandemic and we weren't allowed to attend um, her funeral. Um, so Indianapolis Motor Speedway, they opened up the speedway so that the police officers uh, could attend a, a different type of tribute to her, but we weren't allowed to go into the grave site. So on this day, um, this year, on April the 9th, uh, we got together as an agency and we came together so that we could memorialize her like we weren't able to do in 2020 when she passed away. It's tough. Chief Thomas, how, how did you guys uh, memorialize Keith? Yeah, well, Keith is the only officer we've ever had in our department's history um, to, to die in the line of duty. Um, to keep his memory alive, one, we, um, we have, there's a scholarship in his name um, that every year we have a car show that's become pretty popular where um, we raise money based upon um, uh, the car show. But every, you know, police memorial week, uh, we have a tribute in front of our station. Um, we have a monument. Um, we have a wreath that we put out, not only that day, but also on his birth date. Uh, and probably the most important thing I think I could do as a chief is I'm still, I still check in with his parents. Uh, I'm still in contact, you know, uh, with his, his mother and his father and also uh, Monica Kwan's mother and father. So, you know, part of it is just not forgetting the families. You know, I, I made a commitment that I would never forget Keith and uh, we would never permit, forget forget Keith. We have a mural inside our station and it's a whole length of a, of a wall with his picture on it, you know? So every, it's a part of our history. Yeah, no officer can ever work at the Department of Public Safety and not. We retired his badge. Um, even his locker, his locker is, will never be used again. So uh, we have we have we have built into our very DNA of our department that he is uh, someone that you cannot work at our department and ever not know about or pay tribute to. Yeah, Chief, wow. that, that's so important what you talked about about the families and and not forgetting those families and leaving them behind to to continue to give them support. And, and I know uh, on San Diego, um, obviously we've had, you know, multiple officers that have given their lives in the line of duty and we, we definitely want to always honor and respect them. But there was one officer in particular for me, Officer Archie Bugs, who uh, passed away on November 4th, 1978. He was shot by a couple gang members uh, while out on patrol. Um, and uh, I was only 11 years old when uh, he passed away. But when I came on the San Diego uh, Police Department, they they give you a tour through the POA and they have photographs of every officer who was killed in the line of duty and, and a little brief synopsis of what happened to them. And what stuck with me about Archie Bugs is he was the only officer on that board who looked like me, right? So that was, that was really, really important to me. And I wound up working at the station uh, in the area where it happened and his picture is on the wall. And at that time, it was the only one on the wall, right? So, you know, I looked at his picture every day. And, and one of the things that was was unique is that um, there was really nothing honoring him, right? He's, I, other than, you know, his picture was on the wall in the station, but there was nothing else out there. And uh, I didn't know his family. And, and at a certain point, um, 
some older officers who had retired said, hey, it's really important that we find a way to to honor Archie's legacy. And I took that on as a project and I, you know, I became very, very close with his family and helped kind of lead this charge until we, we got a station named after him, a substation building. And uh, that was, was, was really done to kind of heal his family who really felt he had been forgotten about because it took 39 yeah. years yeah. to get that done, right? But uh, they're on the call today too. They they've been responding, and you know I, I know that that they've become family to me, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. uh, you know I appreciate them. We do whatever we can to to help them, all right. And we can't forget those officers and those families, all of them, in in your agencies. Mm -hmm. Remember them. Do the extra mm -hmm. things for them, even if it requires you know you sending somebody or going out in the middle of the night, right? That that family feels that, hey, we love them and we haven't forgotten mm -hmm. about them. And that's what's important. Yeah. And that's yeah. one of the things that I always will always send, you know, um, the Lawrence and the Quan family pictures of the the tributes that we pay, you know, but yeah. And I think one of the great things out of all of this is um, Kevin Lawrence, Keith's father and I, we he's, he's become one of my closest friends. He's in Colorado and I wow. plan to visit him uh, next uh, next month. But, you know, uh, but that, I think that then you, you're, you're so because it's easy to do. And Craig, Craig, I got to give him credit because he he honors some officers from 100 years ago. And I got to get he goes out to uh, a cemetery, uh, a long forgotten cemetery in ever uh, in East L.A. and puts flowers on some officers that have been. And I have just so such a great respect because we have to. I don't care if it was a, it was it was last week or 100 years ago we have to continue to pay tribute to their legacies. I yes, think, sir. you know, what, what he, what he said is, uh, you know, and I, for those of you who don't know, uh, uh, John has, uh, Chief Thomas has been a great, uh, historian. He's a great historian and a great researcher <laughs> and has found, uh, you know, uh, and, and to be honest, you know, a, a very, a very dark time in our history. Uh, a lot of a lot of people don't know that the LAPD has been around since the 1800s, and when a LAPD started, you know segregation was still the law of the land. So a lot of black police officers uh, who had Im immense courage and blazed the way for all of us to be there and didn't get treated right uh, at all uh, served Internally with. Internally and externally, yeah, um, and that through and, and through Chief Thomas's uh, research, we found the locations of uh, the first uh, two black police officers killed in the line of duty in the 1920s, uh, and uh, a, a tragic reflection on what we were as a society. They were buried. Uh, the first one was buried in an unmarked grave. Um, the second one, uh, both mm. both of them uh, buried in the black section because black people were not allowed to be buried with white people at that time. And these are officers killed in the line of duty were not given the same rights as white people. Um, and so what I try to do is I try to, you know, so every memorial, uh, police memorial week, I go and put flowers on the grave. Uh, obviously, it's not going to erase uh, the racism and the structural uh, bias that was uh, 
at that time. But it's important for all of us to remember, you know, because time will go on and the families are left to mourn these, mourn these officers. And so we have to do our best to remember, not just now, but for a lot of these, for a lot of these men and women, they, they were the first, they were the ones who paved the way for us in the early 1900s. And we have to do our best to remember their sacrifice and to keep on remembering and telling their story. Mm-hmm. Every day, every day. Appreciate every day. that, Craig. Appreciate that, Craig. Uh, Pamela Jones again on Facebook says, uh, speak knowledge, Kelso, that's uh, Ben. Uh, you never gave up and made sure he was not forgotten. And now he will be remembered, forever remembered, and along and made history in the archives of the city of San Diego and the SDPD in the 131-year history now. All right, so we'll give applause to Captain. <laughs> I, I, I think I would rather give that to Archie's family for hanging yes. in there yeah. and, 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 yeah. and yes. having the strength to, to stick with us when I finally started talking about it and not look at me like, oh man, what are you talking about? It's been it's been over 30 years, nothing's happened. Why should I believe you? And they, they, they had faith and they stuck with me and they actually gave me the strength to keep going because it wasn't easy. There was a right. ton of pushback. There was a ton of pushback, right? I can imagine. So, you know, and I almost quit several times, but, but having to go back to them and explain to them every time that we got turned down on something, was like a kick in the teeth, you know? So, you know, I think about Simone with, with Officer Lee and seeing her son that, man, I mean, there's a lot of years that somebody's gonna need to be there for that young man, yes. right? Because I don't even think he even understood when it happened what, what actually took place, but he will eventually, you know? Mm-hmm. And that there's nothing I would like to see better than A, and in 20 years, you know, this young man graduating from college with his degree or, whatever he's doing, but to know that he made it and he wasn't abandoned and and left behind. Absolutely. And the Lee family, uh, her parents have been phenomenal in just allowing us to shower them with love and and support and sending them flowers and allowing us to show up and have, have lunch and dinner with them. They, they have welcomed us with open arms and they understand that they are a part of our family. Her son, uh, Zane, is a part of the family forever. Um, and some Ever. of the women on the department, um, his first day of kindergarten, uh, his, or his first day back to school, his first birthday without his mom, they showed up in support. They got other surrounding agencies and they showered him with gifts and love and support to let him know that he wasn't forgotten. And that's not something that we're just going to do because it's fresh, but that's something that we plan to continue to do because, again, uh, she's the first uh, African-American female officer to die in the line of duty for the Indianapolis Metropolitan Police Department. Yes. Yes. Appreciate that, what you're doing there. So uh, before we get out of here real quick, let's let's talk about the officers that we're talking about here today. Let's, let's uh, bring some humanizing for our audience real quick. And, uh, you know, talk about something fun about them. I know, uh, Craig, you talked about <laughs> Nick being a big personality. I got some pictures there. Uh, he worked out of Hollywood, right? And uh, Yes. 
worked out of Hollywood. Uh, Nick had it, for those of you who don't know him, Nick had this, it's funny because he had a funny sense of humor. Loved telling jokes, would never laugh at his own jokes. With For a lot of guys with sense of humor, we kind of laugh at our own jokes. But Nick had this thing, <laughs> and he would purposely time it. And he'd sit there, say something, and he'd sit there and look around, and and he'd with this serious look on his face, and it's like, Archie, are you joking? Uh, and he'd sit there, and he had this dry sense of humor, and then he would sit there and insert Spanish, and you know he's Korean, and it's like, so you hear this Asian officer sit there purposely, and he would sit there, and everything would be off color, and it, it was just, I mean, he was just a joy, just yeah. a really big joy to work with. Uh, I, you couldn't ask for anybody to work uh, uh, this this profession of ours, which, as we all talked about earlier, can be a real grind. Uh, you know, working with Nick Lee was a, a very good break from the routine that we normally see. Uh, he is surely missed. Uh, one of the things that I forgot to tell you is after he passed away, you know, for those of us who work Hollywood, we're totally familiar with the Walk of Fame. Well, Hollywood put a star uh, in front of the Hollywood police station for Nick Lee. So uh, it's in, from the same company that makes the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And so Nick Lee is is forever going to be in Hollywood's Walk of Fame. Uh, for those of you who visit the LAPD police station, he's right there in front. And truly, one of a, a really great thing to to do, uh, and a great um, a great memento to give to him and his family. Absolutely, love that, love that, Simone. Uh, for Officer Lee, uh, she was definitely uh, the life of of any environment that she was in. Uh, she could walk in the room, and she was definitely bringing sunshine with her. Uh, she was a big picture thinker, loved family, loved the community. Any chance she got to help somebody uh, reach back and be the difference, uh, she was willing to do that without question, without getting any recognition. Uh, she showed up for her community. Uh, she walks in the footsteps of her father, who is a prior law enforcement uh, and wears a badge proudly. Uh, she, he, uh, when she was younger, came home with his police car and, uh, showed her his police car and she got to come outside and see the lights and hear the sirens. And from that moment, she knew she wanted to be the police and to just be able to have an experience with her, to be in her presence, uh, to say that I, I knew her. Um, I was able to work on the same district as her, uh, to be able to speak with her in different conversations. Um, I know that her light for the city, for her family, for the community will never be dimmed uh, because of what she gave to our city, um, the legacy that uh, her mom and the values and morals that her parents instilled in her, she lived that each and every day proudly. So she made us proud. Absolutely. Chief Thomas. You know, two things come to mind when I think of Keith. One is his immense love for Monica. Uh, they were they were engaged, um, and if you, it's actually on uh, YouTube. His proposal to Monica, it's the whole thing where he put roses throughout the apartment. Uh, it's very touching. If you if you ever want a tearjerker, you his his actual proposal to Monica uh, is is actually posted. But uh, I think his great love for her. 
And even as an officer, he drove all of our, just everybody, if he, if he spoke to Keith for five minutes, once he fell in love with Monica, that's all he wanted to talk about. Uh, he he talked uh, and professed his love for Monica. They came together through basketball. They were both were collegiate basketball players, and Keith was a heck of a basketball player. I mean, there's a there's a, a well known buzzer beater where he took the basketball through the course of uh, you know like three four seconds and put up a shot and 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 won won a elite championship but he they both loved loved basketball monica was a a, a basketball player at cal state long beach and keith was at concordia so they came together through basketball uh but so the great love for each other um and basketball you know but he was a heck of a cop as well very yeah. very outstanding officer yeah, and I saw that uh, Monica was also an assistant coach over at Cal State Fullerton, their basketball yeah. team. So, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. basketball was big in their lives. Yeah, glad to hear yes. it. A few more comments before we get out of here. Claudina Harris says it's one thing to talk the talk and see what a lot of social media uh, see a lot of that on social media, but honoring our fallen and supporting the mental well-being of the ones involved in trauma of a line of duty deaf, you are all walking the talk and showing the future members of our departments. So appreciate that comment there, Claudia. Thank you. And Thank I believe we had another comment there producer Liz is gonna bring up. Uh, Ms. Rojas on Facebook says, uh, thank you for having this podcast. Thank you for that. Uh, may God Almighty continue to strengthen, guide and protect you all. We appreciate there, Amanda. All right, appreciate that. So. Um, I guess we, we got one more. <laughs> Lindsay McCall along. Uh, she says, uh, this is a wonderful conversation. It's a difficult subject, but much needed. Thank you for each and each and every one of you for what you do and what you have sacrificed. Appreciate that comment as well. All right. What do you want to leave our, our guests with, our, our uh, audience with on the way out here? Uh, we'll start with you, Simone. What, what do you want the, the audience to know about what we do on a daily basis? What uh, what you dealt with in the line of duty death of your colleague? Um, one thing I could say is um, just understand that police officers are human. Um, we are affected uh, by everyday tragedy. And um, if you have a family member or loved one or a close friend that is in law enforcement, uh, just wrap your arms around them. Uh, be there in support for them. Um, because there are challenging days, there are challenging times. And without a great support system, without the people that care for us and love us in the community, we couldn't do this job. Um, it would be too overwhelming to do it. Um, I would just also like to say uh, to the officers who show up every day and continue to take their runs and continue to show up for the community, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We can't say it enough um, because we know that it could be any one of us. And so thank you for showing up when our community needs us the most. Amen. Amen on that. Greg. Um, I would like to leave uh, on something that we touched on, uh, which is wellness. Um, wellness starts, uh, it's, it's not just the policy or it's not just an idea that we all have, but wellness starts with the person to the left and person to the right. Uh, invest in your people invest in your friendships. The, 
as all the all the examples that you heard of today, uh, those things can change in a moment's notice. And what you don't want is regret. Did you invest in the person to the left? Did you invest in the person to your right? Because that's the question you're going to be asked, you know, after something like this happens. And we all turn around and we all we can we can do better in investing in ourselves and investing in the wellness of each other. And so take care of each other. Uh, it sounds very simple, but, you know, it, it takes a conscious effort. And if anybody can, if anything you take away from these conversations is is treat each other well. That part right there. Chief Thomas. Gosh, I don't know whether I can add to much of what Simone and Craig said because they put it so so well. The only thing I would add is that it, in these very trying times, keep, you know, I, I think, you know, one, we do sub, serve the public. You know, these officers, you know, signed on to do a very difficult job and they knew they were going toward danger and they would do it again. I, I, I dare say any officer that was killed in the line of duty, if they, if, if they had the opportunity to sacrifice their lives, they probably wouldn't want to do that. But at the same time, it's a part of the DNA of the what officers do. So in these very difficult times where, you know, there's a lot of animosity and um, anger directed toward the profession, keep in mind, these are the people in spite of all this, they're still putting on that uniform. They're still going out there and they are still willing to give their life and sacrifice their lives for people that they don't even know. Even the most angry, ardent person against law enforcement at a time like this, officers will still give their lives for that person too. So I think that's something to keep in mind uh, during these difficult uh uh, period that we're going through, that those very officers, they know of the anger out there. They know of the animosity, but they put that uniform on and they respond to those calls just the same, and they will still die for people um, um, to protect others that they don't know. So I think that's an important thing to keep in mind at a time like this, but Simone and Craig said it perfectly, um, you know, um, wellness and you know, just just knowing that these officers are committed unto death to do yes. the job of protecting the serving the public. Very well said. Very well said. Thank you for everybody that uh, chimed in today and, and that viewed the, the show with us. It's really needed conversation. I'm glad we had it. I thank each and every last one of you for out there watching us and, and you guys for joining us here on, on the show. And letting everybody know about these officers and what's going on through their heads and through yours. Appreciate you. Thanks for having us. Wow. That was some good stuff there today. Ben, what, what'd you think? Your first time out. No, we're still here. We're still, uh, we're still closing here. We're still live. So wow. I just, it's just me and you. What, what'd you think about that? It was good. It was good. Yeah. Just to, hey, no script, no nothing. Just speak from the heart. Say what you feel, what's on your mind. Yeah. See what people think. Yeah, yeah. I loved it. Thank you for coming on. Uh, we had a good good show today. We're going to be doing some more together. Um, Lizzie, the spot's still yours, though. Hope you get well, hope you get well soon. <laughs> hey, that's we, right. We love that's you. That's right. She, yes. Hey, you attract more viewers with her anyway. Right? She's making <laughs> you look good.
<laughs> Thank I'll you for everybody the, for joining us. We appreciate you. Yeah, substitute. You, you did you did good. We're sitting, keeping her chair warm. Keeping her chair warm. We'll see you Thank next you time on Black and Blue Live. Thank you everybody for joining us. We out. Peace.